are in the middle of a series. In fact, we're heading towards the tail end of it, entitled The Creed. The Creed. How many have been learning stuff out of this series, right? Doctrine, right? We've been spending some time talking about doctrine. What is the creed? A creed is really a set of beliefs that a group of people ascribe to. Uh, they basically some core tenets that they all simply agree to. The word doctrine in the Greek actually means teachings, right? So a group of people, in fact, for over 2,000 years, there's a bunch of people that have called this thing church, this, this thing that we go to called church. There's a bunch of court believing churches, Bible-believing churches that all believe somewhat of the same things. Now, some of the other churches emphasize one thing over another, perhaps. But for the most part, most of the churches ascribe to some really clear tenets. There's no way we can cover all the doctrines that cover this thing called church. But I wanted to spend a few weeks talking to you about five or six fundamental beliefs that we say we believe. Uh, The first week we talked about... Uh, we talked about the scriptures, and then we talked a little bit about salvation. Kari came up last week, and she talked about the Trinity. How many like what Kari had to say last week? She did a fantastic job, didn't she? I love that. Doctrine, remember, is like an anchor. Remember we said that? It's like an anchor. But what we anchor ourselves to is, is, is doctrine, right? There's so many beliefs in churches that don't have something we hang on to really deep. What happens with, it, with an anchor is once it goes into the water and the wind and the waves start to pull it, it actually goes deeper and deeper and deeper, settling you further and further sure. Doctrine is one of those things that we can stand on strongly. In other words, we can say, for instance, the doctrine of Scripture and be able to stand firm on the doctrine of Scripture, believing it's really the words of God. And as we begin to do that, and it begins to get pressed and pushed, that, that when you go and look out the reason as to uh, why it's pressed and pushed, you know, the enemy's pushing at it, but the more you look at the reality and the validity of it, the deeper it be and the rooted it becomes. And the more true you see when, when you look in history and you say like, wow, history's proven that the Bible's true. And, and uh, experience has proven that the Bible is true over and over again. Salvation, the Trinity, there's so much that we can hang on to. Well, in our life group this last week, we spent some time talking about, um, Kari asked the great question in the Jumpstart video. If you guys are in life groups, but by the way, if you're not in a life group, you need to get into a life group. And if you're wondering, how do I get into a life group? I'm going to tell you how you get into a life group. This is super easy. It's the easiest way to get into a life group. Here's how. Come to the church on Thursday nights, and I'll help you get into a life group personally. All right, you come here. We have this thing called group link where we all get together. And right now we have enough for one group, but we're going to have enough for three or four groups or five groups. And we'll have groups right here at church. And then we'll multiply those groups and send you out to homes. You, I'm telling you, you want to get involved in a small group. Because our, as our church grows bigger, it needs to grow smaller at the same time. Right? Why? Because we need to build relationship. You can't build relationship with three church services full of people. Right? It's hard to. I want you to be able to know who the people are around you. We've been talking about doctrine. Kari said in the Jumpstart video that we showed at the Life Group, she asked the question, she said, hey, of, of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which one would you like to get to know a little better? Right? She basically asked that question. In our particular Life Group, we went around the circle, and, and it seemed like most of us were kind of leaning on the same answer, which was we like to know a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. Right? Because, you know, Jesus we, we talk about, and God we talk about, but the Holy Spirit... It's kind of the X factor. Like we don't really know much about the Holy Spirit, right? And quite frankly, um, it's interesting about the Holy Spirit because he kind of gets a bum rap, right? The Holy Spirit is kind of a bum rap because, because we don't know much about him, we blame things on him. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? You've ever been to a church where they do something really crazy and then they say the Spirit told me to do that? You're just like, don't blame that on him. You're just weird, 
right? So come on. You've been to, you've been to those churches, right? I'm telling you, right, it, it can happen. I've, been to, I've pastored those churches. <laughs> I'm just telling you, right, that why, why, would, why would we be okay with Jesus and be super good with God and get really freaked out about his spirit? Come on, like at some point we have to realize who he is. Well, tonight I want to talk to you a little bit about the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right? The doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the teachings of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? How does it apply to each of our lives? Is it for me? Is it for you? What is it that it really is? So as we endeavor to embark on a journey talking about the Holy Spirit, but by the way, let me tell you this. There are families that have been divided over beliefs and misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit. There are, uh, there's bloodshed on hills throughout history over the believings and misunderstandings of the Holy Spirit. There are all kinds of things that have happened about the Holy Spirit because we don't really know. And I don't claim to know all the answers, but I can tell you, man, that, that I don't think it's supposed to be so hard. I don't think understanding the Holy Spirit is supposed to be as difficult as we've made it. So tonight, as we do that, will you join me as we pray? Can we do that? Jesus, I thank you so much for tonight. Lord, I pray that you would help us to come to um, a better understanding of who you are, your Holy Spirit. Would you help us to be careful to see and hear and open our hearts up to see what your word says about the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit. Just like we sang in the song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Flood this place, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, listen, there's no way that I can talk to you about all that there is to know that the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. I promise you, in just a few minutes, right? There's no way. In fact, there's no way I'm going to be able to have the poor gal back there who's running the slides keep up with all the scriptures, right? So, so I, I'm, I'm running the risk of spending money on ink and paper, right? So I literally printed up my sermon notes for you. So you can just listen. The sermon notes are in the back. Please grab them because I want you to be able to take them home and test yourself what it is that you're seeing in the Bible. Well, just take it from me. You take my notes with a big red marker if you want to and scribble it or circle it and put a big star and say, yes, that's for me. Amen? Come on, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, I want you to know. It's funny because we can talk about the Holy Spirit and watch people get a little puckered up. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. I love that phrase. I love that phrase because it makes so people just get weird. You can go to a church and say the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they're just like, don't talk about that here. Whatever you do. Or you say the baptism of the Holy Spirit, immediately somebody thinks, craziness is about to ensue. Nut jobs are going to wake up. Come on. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Say that with me. The baptism. Oh, say it again. I like that. I want you to say it because you just feel weird saying it. I love it because there's so much. You know what what my calling in life is? Lance Powers, me. My calling in life, I, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I can tell you that. I don't know Greek and Hebrew like I should, but I can tell you who I am. My calling in life is to walk into confusing places and flip the lights on. That's my calling. Just to walk into crazy, that's why this doesn't scare me to talk about hard things. I, I, don't, like, I don't mind talking about money and tithing. I don't mind talking about women in ministry. I don't, I don't mind talking about the Holy Spirit, right? Because it's not me. It's the anchor of scripture that I'm hanging on to. Amen? We're going to let the anchor of Scripture sink deeper and deeper as we talk about the Holy Spirit. And my challenge for you tonight is for you to take a minute and say, 
okay, I have a fundamental understanding because of the culture I was raised up within to believe a certain way. I'm not asking you to chuck your culture or throw away your history, but I am asking you to slow down and let's just look at context. You may hear some phrases tonight that you're unfamiliar with. Let's just open up our Bibles and read what it says, all right? Again, if you can't follow me here and I'll have up screen, just take them with you, right? Are you good? All right, here we go. The Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit? I love what Carr said last week, right? The Holy Spirit, he's God. Amen. How do we know he's God? The Bible says the Holy Spirit is God. Remember, he, he is God, just like Kari talked about. He's the person of God, right? He's one of the three persons. First of all, the Bible attributes a whole bunch of verses in the Bible about the Holy Spirit as if they were God. For example, I'll just give you three of them. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is omniscient. The Bible says that God is omniscient. Omniscient simply means all-knowing, right? 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, No one can know what anyone else is really thinking except for that person alone, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own Spirit. We know the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is not only omniscient, but omnipresent. Omnipresent simply means everywhere, all the time, right? The Bible says in Psalm 139, 7 and 8, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never go away from your presence. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the depths of the dead, you are also there. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is not only omniscient, omnipresent, but he's omnipotent, right? That simply means all power, unlimited power, unlimited authority. The Bible ascribes these kinds of things to the Holy Spirit, is what it says in Job 33. For the Spirit of God has made me, and he breathed the, and the breath of the Almighty he gives me. I love this because the Bible itself talks about the Holy Spirit being God. Right? Now, I love it. The, the, you know, it's interesting. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit, when he was here on earth, remember Jesus was here, and he said, I'm going to go to my Father, Matthew 28, the end of the book of Luke. Jesus, remember, he rose from the dead, and he's talking to his disciples, and he says, hey, guys, remember Matthew 28? He says, hey, guys, I want you to know something. I'm going to, I'm going to go to heaven, but when I go, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. Right? Translation, I'm going to heaven. I'm sending you my Spirit. Right? I'm going to let you have my spirit so I can be with you always, omniscient, omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful. I'm me. I'm going to be with you. Right? The Holy Spirit, me, God, part. Right? If you can figure all that out, good luck for you. But I'm telling you, that's what the Bible says. Right? I love this. Jesus said that the, Bible, the Holy Spirit would bring comfort, counsel, and power. Right? I think he's going to bring more, but at least those three, comfort, counsel, and power. Right? Let's just hang on to those three attributes of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to leave behind the Holy Spirit, who's going to bring comfort, counsel, and power. I think it's amazing, right? Now, now, now how many of you are feeling absolutely filled with comfort, absolutely filled with wisdom from counsel from really wise God, and completely empowered with all the power you need? Right? Mostly not. Right? Comfort, counsel, and power. The Bible says that Jesus said he was going to leave behind his spirit to bring that to us. Here's the crazy thing. If I was the devil, you know what I'd try to do? If I knew that the church was going to be given comfort, counsel, and power. You know, if I was the devil, you know what I'd do? I'd try to screw that up. I'd try to confuse it. I'd try to make everybody just get fighty and weird about the Holy Spirit. Because... 
Because if, if we're weird and fighting about the Holy Spirit and we don't really know what it is, you know what's going to happen? No comfort, no counsel, no power. When you do that, if you're the devil, when you try to screw up the understanding of the Holy Spirit, that's what he did. That's what he's doing. That's what he's always done. Because if he can mess with an understanding of the Holy Spirit, then we have no comfort, no counsel, and no power. Huh. How is it that we've swallowed that whole thing so easily, right? The Bible says the devil's a deceiver, right? He's deceiving us into believing all kinds of craziness, and quite frankly, we do. We, he, he wants to um, get you mad at somebody so it's all their problem when it's all driven by him. He's telling you it's all them, it's all them. But really, the truth is it's all him. He's the one making the mess, and we all just simply swallow it hook, line, and sinker far too often. Comfort counsel and power. Now, before we go on too long, let me tell you this. There's this phrase. I, I think it's important. When you read your Bibles, if I could tell you anything, if one day you go to heaven and you say to God, Lance did tell me one thing. Here's what I want you to tell God. Slow down when you read your Bible. Just slow down. Amen. If you tell him, Lance told me that, right? At least tell him that, right? What I want you to do is take it slower. Sometimes we just go ripping through stuff because someone tells us culturally or somebody tells us, so, for instance, the word baptize, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? Now, immediately, most of us have a picture or an image in our mind of what baptism is, right? We have the tank. Sometimes it sits over here, and we dip people in water, and we call that baptism, right? The word in the, word in the Bible, the Greek word baptize, means, uh, baptizo, means to immerse or to submerge or to sink deep within so that it absorbs fully all of the surroundings of itself, let me help you. Um, I don't do this very, I, I don't do this. It's been a year since I've done this and I would like to do it tonight, but I can't, right? Because of my blood sugars. But I love Oreo cookies and milk. Come on. Don't tell me you don't. Everyone does, right? So Oreo cookies and milk. The best way to eat Oreo cookies and milk, here's the best way, because I remember a few years ago when I did this. You take the cup of milk, you drop two of them in the bottom because you're going to get to them later. Come on, because you know it's going to break, so you might as well drop a few down there to get to. Then you take the, eat the rest of them yourself, right? Then when you're done, drink the milk. You know what's at the bottom? Goodness. Come on. The goodness is down there, right? Because, it's, because the, the, the cookie part's all, it's all soaked up and about it. And you get to the bottom, you're just like, come on. You just want to get it all down there, right? But you know why? Because the cookies have been baptized, fully saturated, Fully, completely, you can't separate the cookie from the milk. We want to baptize some cookies. Come on, that's what, that's what baptism is. It's like fully submerging, immersing, or if you want to come up with a word that just means like saturated by. That's what baptism is. Hmm. So the Bible talks about this Holy Spirit baptism similarly. Don't lose sight of the word picture, baptism. Right? The reason we do water baptism is to signify, to really show the rest of the world that I'm going down into water and I'm coming up dripping wet to let you know that on the inside, I am fully baptized in Jesus and my relationship with him. And on the outside, I want everyone to know. Right? Fully saturated in Jesus. Somebody say amen. All right. That's what baptism is about. Now listen to this. In Acts chapter 2, I'm going to go quickly. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says this. Peter's talking, and he says, each of you, he's talking to thousands of people. The Bible says that there's thousands of people in front of him. It says, each of you must turn from your sins, turn to God, and get this, 
be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Hmm. Peter tells these people to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. Now, if we don't read slow enough, we'll immediately think that Peter's talking about baptizing in water. If we, if we read too fast, we'll miss the bigger picture. Peter says, basically, you need to know Jesus as your Savior. You need to be... You need to get saved, he says to these people, right? He says, you know what, you know what, you know what you need to do? You need to be baptized into Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be immersed, submerged, just all about your relationship to Jesus. Can you say amen? Right? In other words, you don't just say, hey, Jesus is being my Lord and Savior, and then just walk away from him. Like, well, some of us have done. When you're fully a Christian, you're fully saturated by Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, comes inside of you at that point. He lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit's inside of you because now you're a born-again believer. Look at what the Bible says. Go a little further. In Acts chapter 19, verse 1, it says this. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled throughout the interior. He goes down. Paul says this in verse 2. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked. This group of men standing around said, no. They replied, we didn't know that there was a Holy Spirit. Verse 3 of chapter 19. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. They replied, the baptism of John. Paul said John's baptism, John the Baptist, John's baptism was to demonstrate a desire to turn from your sin and turn to God. John himself told the people to believe in Jesus. The one John said would come after him. So verse 5, as soon as they heard this, they were all, all these people standing around, were all baptized, it says, into the name of Jesus. So all these guys standing around in Acts chapter 19 were listening to Paul talk. Hey, what happened? They said, hey, we remember John the Baptist. Remember what John the Baptist said? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Basically, John was saying, there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. John the Baptist was leading to Jesus. These guys were like, hey, all we know about the baptism is like, John. And, And Paul says, there's Jesus, don't forget, right? This is... And they're like, we didn't know that Jesus, Holy Spirit, thinks. Next thing you know, they all got saved. They were baptized in the name of Jesus, right? They all considered themselves Christians. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came into their lives, and they were Christians. They became believers. Listen to this. I love this. To become a believer, to be fully saturated, to be fully absorbed by Jesus, to be a Christian, we need to be, we could say the phrase, we don't usually say this phrase, that we need to be baptized into Jesus to be a Christian. That's fundamental, right? We don't say it like that. We usually say, invite Jesus into your heart, to be, your heart to be your Lord and Savior, right? Or we say, surrender your life to Jesus, right? But there's another way to say it, that you are baptized into Christ. It just simply means that. Fully saturated, absorbed, the Holy Spirit's inside of you, and you say amen. Try not to confuse them. Try to make it super simple. Here we go. So then, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, then what's this baptism of the Holy Spirit thing? What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit if the Holy Spirit is already alive inside of you? What's the point of this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Clearly, I can tell you this, and I would just say this on behalf of pastors. We have really messed this thing up. We are terribly confusing when we try to communicate this. You can already see as I'm trying to talk about this, right? Clearly, right? Not very clearly, but I can tell you. I went to a pastor's conference in Colorado once. It was funny. Uh, 4,000 pastors there, a bunch of them hanging out. There was this one guy, Jack Hayford. You heard of Jack Hayford? He, he's awesome. love him. Anyway, Jack Hayford was there. 
he, was gonna, he, he stands up, and they were introducing Pastor Jack, and they said, hey, what are you going to be teaching on in this breakout session that you're going to do tomorrow at this conference with 4,000 pastors? He says, I'm going to be teaching on helping people understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so, oh, good for him, right? And then they moved on, had the guest speaker, and that happened. The next day, the next day there were, the, the room that he had was about this size. The next day, there was a, a line going outside the room and curling all around the main lobby of people trying to get into the room. So what happened was, is literally there were thousands of us that wanted to hear how to do this baptism of the Holy Spirit thing. What is it really? Here's what that told me. Preachers don't get it either. There's some about this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit that the devil's been trying to mess up for so many years. So maybe there's something here that we should slow down and look at. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. If, the, if becoming a Christian is being baptized into Jesus, then what is the being baptized into the Holy Spirit? Is it the same thing or is it something different? I submit to you today that it's, it's something in addition to salvation. In other words, you get saved, Holy Spirit comes inside of you, and then there's this thing subsequent to your salvation called the Holy Spirit. How do I know? Look at what it says. John chapter 16 says this, verse 5. I think this scripture is going to be up there. Jesus talking, and he says this, But now I am going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I told you. But in fact, it's best that you know that I go away, because if I don't, then I can't leave the advocate. If I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you, and he, and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Salvation. So get this. Salvation, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, when you get saved, when you invite Jesus into your heart or you surrender your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and makes his residence within you, right? At salvation, you become, get this, heavenly ready. In other words, when you die, you get to go to heaven. When you're a Christian. When you're a Christian and you die, you get to go to heaven. Somebody say good, right? Right? Salvation, you become heavenly ready. The baptism of the Holy Spirit makes you earthly prepared. Salvation gets you heavenly ready. The baptism of the Holy Spirit makes you earthly prepared. I don't know if you understand that, but let's talk about that. What does it mean to be earthly prepared? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. I said it comes subsequent to salvation. It's a fancy way to say that you get saved and then you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Here's how. Over and over in Scripture, that happened. People were saved. They were transformed. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, came inside of them. He was alive inside of them. And then there was this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happened after they were saved. For example, Acts chapter 1. Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he's talking to a bunch of saved, born-again people. And Jesus says this funny phrase in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It says, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends what I promised. Remember, I told you about this before. John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, as I read before, Peter says, Each one of you must turn from your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then it goes on to say, then you can receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, verse 14, I love this. This is Philip. The Bible says there was this crazy thing happening in Jerusalem. The Bible says there was this crazy persecution that was going on. And Philip, one of the disciples, ends up going down to a place called Samaria. Now, Samaria was this place of, uh, 
Jewish people didn't like Samaritans, all right? They were, they were hugely racist. It was horrible. They, they were all about our pure race, our Jewish race, and anything other than our pure Jewish race is bad, right? The Samaritans, uh, there's Jews and Gentiles, right? So there's Jew people, and then there's non-Jew people that were Gentiles. Well, then there's this group of people called, Gen, or, or called Samaritans. And basically, Samaritans were half Jew, half not, which made them detestable to Jewish people. They didn't like them, hated them. In fact, Jewish people would say there's nowhere in heaven good, for, good enough for them. They just didn't like them, right? So Philip, this crazy persecution happens in Jerusalem. Philip takes off to Samaria, of all things. They hear the message of Jesus, and all these Samaritans get saved. Crazy. So then Philip sends home to Peter and John. He says, guys, you're not going to believe this. A bunch of these people, these Samaritans are getting saved. And all the Jewish people are like, that can't happen. Right? So then Peter and John come down, get this. This happens in Acts chapter 8, verses 14. It says this. It says in, verse, in verse, chapter 8, verse 15. It said, as soon as Peter and John arrived, they prayed for these new Christians to receive the Holy Spirit. Wait, 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 wait. You hear what that just said? It said, it prayed for these new Christians to receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 says this. For the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Verse 17. Then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a relationship. Remember, remember Kari last week talked about the Trinity? She said it's all about relationship. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, and he kind of tells us about relationship. And I put it this way. It's kind of like a, a progression of a relationship. You know, relationships progress, right? You know, at first you're like looking at the girl across the, the way, and you're like, hey, she's kind of cute. You way better. Next thing you know, you're like, hey, what's your name? Next thing you know, you're like, hey, I'd like to hold your hand. Next thing you know, you're like, will you marry me? Right? So, I mean, it progresses, right? You don't just stand and say, like, hey, what's your name? Let's get married. Right? You, you, you kind of have to progress. Relationship with the Holy Spirit is the same way, right? It's a progression to get to know the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's a person. Here we go. Jesus describes the relational progression of the Holy Spirit this way. First of all, Jesus says there is a Holy Spirit relationship where the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. Look at what it says in, Acts, or in John chapter 14. It says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor who will never leave you or forsake you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world at large can't receive him because it's not looking for him, and it doesn't recognize him, but you do, because he lives with you now and will later be in you. Jesus tells these guys the Holy Spirit is with them now, but later he'll be in them. So, so if we slow the Bible down a little bit and, and, and read the words, Peter, John says... The Holy Spirit is with you. The Greek word is para. Everyone say para. Holy Spirit will be with you, para. It's where we get the word parallel, right? It's in other words, he, he's walking alongside of you. Before you're a Christian, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you, wooing you to Christ. He's the one that walks alongside you and says, that's a dumb idea, don't do that. Right? He's the one that also says, look at the sunset. Isn't that beautiful? Because God made it, you should seek God. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of us, para, because the Bible here says the Holy Spirit was with them, but will later be in them, all right? So as he's with them. So John's writing this, and he says, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he says, listen, the Holy Spirit's with them right now, so para, but later he'll be in them. The word in is, comes from the Greek word, which is not I-N, but E-N, N, word N. The word N means, English, in, 
But the word en means actually indwelling or living inside. So, Paul, so John's talking right here and he says, the Holy Spirit is with you now, but later he's going to be inside of you, indwelling you, right? So Jesus is describing this Holy Spirit thing. And he says there's, there's three kinds of relationship. There's, there's one part that's him actually coming and living with you. Then there's another relationship where he's living inside of you. Then there's a third part of the relationship that most of us actually miss. This is the part that I love. Where he's not only living with us, but now he's living in us. And the third part of the relationship Jesus talks about is a relationship where he's overflowing us. Let me explain. Luke chapter 24, 49 says this. Behold, I'm sending a promise from my Father upon you. Everyone say upon. Upon you. But you will stay here in the city and you till you are clothed or filled with overflowing from on high. The word upon actually is the Greek word that means to clothe. It's the word epi. It means to fill or clothe or to overflow you. All this, let me make this really super simple for you. This is, uh, this is, this is water. This water is like the Holy Spirit, right? So not the pitcher, but the water. The water, the fluid inside there, that's like the Holy Spirit, right? This, this glass, empty glass, is you. It's like us. Right? So first of all, the Holy Spirit is with us. This is, this is you. This is before Jesus. We kind of live our lives our own way. We, we want to do things our way. We, we even allow ourselves to be filled with inappropriate things. Things we shouldn't be doing. We let into our lives and we take it. Because we're, we're an empty vessel and we're available to anything. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is para. He's with us all the time saying, don't do that. That's a bad idea. Why don't you come over here because I'm always going to be with you. If you'll just know, right? In other words, he's not in you, but he's with you. The Bible says before you were a believer, he was wooing you. Remember the Bible says no man comes to the Father except what? He's drawn by the Holy Spirit. Para. He's, he's with you. He's always been with you. He's been showing you the sunset forever. He's been trying to tell you when you see a baby, you look at a baby and you're like, wow, look at that. It's amazing. Holy Spirit's telling you I made creation. Para. Then the Bible says, when you surrender your life to Christ, Holy Spirit comes inside of you, right? He fills you, right? Holy Spirit comes inside of you and he fills you. Now, now you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're a Christian, right? Now as a Christian, you, uh, you, know, you understand sin. You want to stay away from that. You want to live a holy life. You want to do that. But, but here's the crazy thing about our lives is, is as Christians, you know, we're indwelt with God's Holy Spirit. See, you're indwelt with God's Holy Spirit. This is what most Christians are like. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We are absolutely heavenly ready. In other words, if we were to die right now, heavenly ready. We're ready to go to heaven because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But there's this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit that God intended us to live in. The epi, the overflowing nature of God. In other words, God's plan wasn't just to fill us. Most of us live right here. And this is where most of us as Christians kind of live our lives. We have Jesus in us and there's people that don't. I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, and too bad you're going to hell. You should find Jesus. That's how we live our lives in Christians in America. We're just kind of like, hey, I'm a Christian, you know what? I'm a Christian and you stink. But that's crazy, that's how we live. God said he didn't intend for us to be that way. God didn't intend the Holy Spirit to be living all captured inside of a glass just for us. God's intention was that the Holy Spirit would overflow. 
epiphe through us. God's intention was like this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit but it was like the Holy Spirit coming and saying, listen, I want to fill you up to overflowing. I want to fill you up to overflowing, that it would literally pour out of your lives and that our lives would be more than just here. It'd be so full that, you know, it's crazy. If you were to stand up here, you know what would happen? Your feet would get wet. You know that if you, if you bump this glass, you know what's going to happen? Somebody next to you is going to get wet. Because you're overflowing with love. See, so many of our lives are so contained and we're just like, I'm going to stay right here. This is who I am. I don't want to get in messy. I want to stay just like this. But God's intent was that you'd be just absolutely overflowing all the time. So everyone around you would just be going like, I want some of that. I, I, I got to hug you. I get some of it on me. Everything around you, is, that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit's about. See, so many of us live our lives so selfish. We just want to get to heaven and hope that somebody else makes it themselves. Salvation is becoming heavenly ready. The baptism of the Holy Spirit gets you earthly prepared. In other words, his intention was that you would go and share love with people. Hmm. Let's go on. So what is this power thing? The Bible says you would be filled with comfort, counsel, and power. Power, what power? Power from what? What what is the power about, right? We kind of want to think that at some level we'll be filled with power, but what power? What does the Bible say about this power? Well, well, power to heal people, perhaps. Power to um, encourage people, perhaps. Power to, uh, I don't know, do miraculous things. That would be nice. The Bible says when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, this this comfort, counsel, and power will happen in you. Power for what? I, I love this. The Bible says in Galatians, kind of an interesting thing. This overflowing, let me ask you this. Do you have an overflowing Holy Spirit inside of you right now? A supernatural overflow. When people bump into you, do they get all wet? When people bump into you, they just like, I can't just help, but like something's rubbing off on me from you. You ever been around somebody like that? You're just like, there's just all kinds of stuff leaking off of you. Like, hmm. Galatians chapter five, listen to this. Galatians chapter 5 says this. So I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The old sinful nature loves to do what's evil, which is just the opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives you the desire that is opposite from what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. Your choice is never free from conflict. But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, you will no longer live subject to the law. Go down to verse 22. But when the Holy Spirit controls your lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no conflict with the law in this. Now, the fruit of the Spirit. Let's slow the Bible down again. I love this because I've been, I've been spending a lot of time studying this particular passage. What does it mean to find the fruit of the Spirit? Most of us as Christians, and I'm guilty of this too as a pastor teaching this, that I would tell people, listen, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You should be more loving, patient, kind, gentle, faithfulness, self-controlled. You should have the fruit of the Spirit just inside of you. I said those all the time. But I spent some time unpacking this passage, man. I'm telling you, I got hung up here for a long time. As I spent time in the original Greek of this particular passage, here's what I found out. 
The Bible says this funny thing. It says that when the Holy Spirit is inside of you and you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, it says that that produces fruit in you. Now, the word fruit in the Greek is singular. What does that mean? Um, In English, we say the word fruit, and it's both plural and singular, right? I have a piece of fruit, or there's a bowl of fruit. And the same fruit is like singular and plural, right? In Greek, it's not like that. In Greek, the word fruit is singular, fruit, one piece. In this particular passage, it says, those of you who have the Holy Spirit in you will produce this kind of fruit. And then it lists nine things. But when you slow the Bible down and you look at the original language a little closer, it actually says this. It actually says, you will be filled with this kind of fruit, love, which manifests itself in joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. Love that is kind, love that is peaceful, love that is gentle. The whole thing is about love. In other words, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. How do I know that? Look at your Bible in 1 Corinthians. What does it say? I can speak of tongues and men of angels. I can prophesy. I can do all this. But if I don't have love, I'm nothing but a big noisemaker. He says love, right? The greatest of these is love because love never fails. The problem is that we've got a distorted, confused understanding of love. Because love in our culture is sexual, it's weird, it's selfish, it's all crazy and twisted. If I was the devil, I would do that to love too. So if we slow the Bible down and look at what the Bible's really saying, it's saying this. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You're heavenly ready. But when the Holy Spirit comes and you say, I want to be baptized in Holy Spirit, you become able to supernaturally love now, I can tell you, hey, so what about your spiritual gifts, right? You have the spiritual gift of uh, teaching, spiritual gift of wisdom, spiritual gift of hospitality, spiritual gift of healing. You have all those spiritual gifts. And let me tell you this right now, minus love, those are just nice circus acts. But with love, it's supernaturally empowered. In other words, the fruit of the Holy Spirit's spiritual gift. The power of your holy spiritual gifts is love, the power behind it. In other words, when I have wisdom and I'm trying to give you a word of wisdom, and if it's coming out of this passion of inspired and filled love, you receive it. If I want to lay hands on you because you're, you, and I have a gift of healing, I'm going to pray for you. I can't do it myself, but it's got to be bathed in love and not just me and my circus act. I'm going to try to do something to you. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, <laughs> When he baptizes us, he fills us to overflowing, overflowing what? Overflowing, crazy, reckless love. The problem is, is we've turned the baptism of the Holy Spirit into a crazy thing that, that it's all wrapped around speaking in tongues. In, in other words, if, if we've even said this as denominations. You know, if uh, the initial physical evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit was speaking in tongues. And we would say this as pastors, unfortunately. If you didn't speak in tongues, you didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. To that, I'm really sorry. Because I don't think that's the case. Here's the funny thing. What is speaking in tongues? Speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues is like a, a prayer language between your heart and God's heart that the devil can't interpret. That's the New Lance version. It's like I went to a restaurant the other day I was for breakfast. And I saw this couple, elderly couple. They were sitting across the way man and a woman, and they're sitting there. And it's crazy. They're sitting at this table, and the whole time, they didn't say a single word. Not a word. Not pass the ketchup. Not where's the pepper. Not, they drank their coffee, ate their toast, the eggs. They sat there literally an hour, said nothing. In my mind, I'm thinking, like, are they mad at each other? 
But here's what it dawned on me. I've been married 27 years. It dawned on me that I'm barely sniffing the beginnings of marriage. I'm barely beginning to sniff the edges of intimacy. Because you know what I saw that day? I saw this couple who didn't say a single word out loud, but had an amazing conversation inside. Because they were looking at each other. What, they would look at something, and one of them would hand him the salt shaker, one of them would read over and hand him coffee, and next thing you know, I mean, it's like the waiter would, waiter, waitress would come and fill the guy with coffee, and then the wife would put her cup over there, and the husband would put his cup. I mean, it was like, it was just like this dance they were having and not saying a single word. But somehow, they were communicating with each other. <laughs> See, that's what speaking in tongues is. It's, it's your ability to come to God and say, ah, yeah, yeah. You can't even say it. You ever, been, you ever been in a situation where you're like, God, that's beautiful. But then you think to yourself, beautiful, the 